Another amazing use for lasers could take care of our nuclear waste problem. Got that coming up. Young people are dying and officials are lying. Smart people are not afraid to say, I don't know. Oh. And we missed this from our last show, meant to cover it. Abracadabra, we'll have that for you. Welcome to the Jay Sheldon Show. Happy Monday. Yay. The good news is Monday here in Malaysia is almost over. It's uh, just after 10 o'clock at night. Uh, for those of you on the uh, other part of the planet, it's only just begun. <sighs> it's been hot here, too. Yes, incredibly hot. Not it's You know, it's Malaysia. It's hot, so get used to it. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's been a bit warm. All right, we got all that stuff and more coming up tonight. And uh, right now, though, it is time to... Do we have the intro? We do. It's time for this little lady. Miko update. Oh, yeah, the Miko update. She's doing great. Matter of fact, there she is. If you are watching on our live stream or our video replay, you can see a picture of Miko that was taken just about an an hour ago. Uh, If you're listening to the podcast... Click on our link and check out our video sh- part of the show. You'll find us on Rumble, YouTube, Twitch.tv, and uh, Facebook. We're live on Facebook, and then the video replay, for the moment, is put up on Rumble and YouTube. But anyway, this is her outside of our studio. You can see the purple lights there. <laughs> this was her tearing up the shag rug, or the fur rug, I should say. Yes, we have a fur rug in our hallway outside of the studio here. So, uh, yeah, that was her... Uh, getting ready to lunge and bite me because she loves playing at the top of the stairs like that. So dangerous as it is. She's doing great, though. And uh, yeah, she's uh, she's fine. Thanks. Everybody's always sending me messages and emails and saying, how's Miko? How's Miko? So there's your answer. She's doing great. (laughs) Okay, let's just roll right into it here, shall we? There is an article here. The link is in our show notes, so you can read the whole thing if you want. It's very, potentially, incredibly good news. Nuclear power is saving us a lot of oil use. It does come with a downside, of course, and that's nuclear waste. Well, this is from BigThink.com. Lasers apparently could cut the lifespan of nuclear waste, which currently has a lifespan of a million years or more. That's how long the waste from these nuclear pamp or from anything that uses nuclear. Uh, that's how long the waste lasts for, which is like forever. It could cut the lifespan down to 30 minutes 30 minutes shorter than this show is that according to a nobel laureate gerard moreau has already won a nobel prize for his work with fast laser pulses and if he gets pulses 10,000 times faster he says he can modify waste on an atomic level If no solution is found, we're already stuck with some 22,000 cubic meters of long-lasting hazardous waste. Uh, 
But if we could come up with a way to make the lifespan of this stuff half an hour, it would be unbelievably good news. Whatever you think of nuclear energy, the process results in tons of radioactive toxic waste that really nobody knows what to do with. As a result, we tuck it away as safely as possible in underground storage areas where it's meant to remain for a very long time. The worst of it, uranium-235 and plutonium-239 have a half-life of 24,000 years. Yeah. That's the reason eyebrows were raised in Europe, where more countries depend on nuclear energy than anywhere else. When physicist Gerard Moreau mentioned in his Nobel acceptance speech that lasers could cut the lifespan of nuclear waste from a million years to 30 minutes. I put it in a follow-up interview with The Conversation. There's a video of that speech from Mr. Moreau uh, on the article, if you want to check it out. There are also all of his credentials, and this guy is... This guy knows what he's talking about. He's been dealing with lasers for a very long time. He wrote the book, so to speak. And uh, like I said, he believes that if he can get the pulses just a bit faster, he can get into the nuclear waste at the atomic level and change the lifespan to 30 minutes. There's images here and everything. I'm like, it's, it's, a very, it's a bit sciencey, this article, but it's written in relatively plain English. Um, for example, the process is called transmutation. Nuclear energy may be the best candidate for the future, he told the Nobel audience, but we are still left with a lot of dangerous junk. The idea is to transmutate the nuclear waste into new forms of atoms which don't have the problem of radioactivity. So, there you go. If it could be done, brilliant. Wouldn't that be cool? Mm. All right. What else we got going on here? Oh, I know. Yeah. Okay. People are dying and the officials are lying. This article appeared in the, the Malay Mail. I don't like putting the Malay Mail stuff up here because honestly, they just do these ridiculous clickbait headlines. But this one caught my eye. It's out of Singapore. And uh, man, everything I want to say, I can't because I'll get banned. So I'm going to dance around the edge here a little bit but I think you'll know what I'm getting at. If you really want to know what I'm feeling about the subject, you go over to my Twitter feed. Follow me over on Twitter. It's at It's J Sheldon, I-T-S-J Sheldon. There's a link in our description to my social media accounts. Um, yeah, you'll see a little bit more about the real J that has no particular fear or care about getting banned over there on uh, on Twitter. But this uh, this story... I couldn't move my body, says a Singaporean, 30 years old, stricken by myocarditis. Doctors explain why younger people are getting it. In May, Ms. Li Pei Xia came down with a fever. What initially looked like a viral infection led to a serious case of acute myocarditis, which is an inflammatory condition of the heart muscle. I thought it was a common infection, she said. I didn't expect it could be so serious and affect my heart. Uh, didn't see it coming. After developing a fever, she recalled feeling weak, had trouble falling asleep at night. 
Because of chest pains and breathlessness, she also vomited, couldn't move her body. She knew something was wrong when she couldn't walk and had to be supported. Um, Viral infections, one of the common causes of myocarditis. Heart condition came to be in the news recently because of the COVID-19 pandemic. When infected patients or those who took the vaccine developed the condition in much larger numbers, this is me adding this in, than should normally be the case. Anyway, these doctors are all saying, oh, no, no, it's, it has nothing to do with the vaccines. It's all just a, uh, yeah, uh, sure. Do me a favor, put in any search engine, myocarditis, COVID-19, vaccine, whatever, I wouldn't suggest using Google because they are so slanted with the results they give you. Maybe DuckDuckGo, even though that's not all that great. Use another search engine if you can. Get away from Google and those idiots. But take a look at the articles that pop up. You'll find them both sides of the both sides of the argument. But the this side of the argument that makes a connection between the huge increase in young people, including athletes, healthy, athletic people, winding up with uh, myocarditis and other heart problems. I'm going to play you a video from YouTube. Um, There's no sound here. Might be a bit upsetting to some people, so I'll give you fair warning that uh, these are videos of perfectly healthy athletes who are basically dropping dead of cardiac arrest for what appears to be no reason, if you know what I mean. These footages are just absolutely unbelievable. Um, This is a public post on YouTube, so anybody can see it. The link is in our show notes. I'll probably wind up getting a hit for this, but I don't care. It's important you see it. It's important you understand exactly the kind of uh, trouble that's out there. And it's happening a lot, a lot more than it has ever happened before. I'm not making any... I'm not making any claims to why this is happening, but you read the articles and you'll figure it out for yourself. It is damn scary. Player dies of heart attack during a football match. Player collapses on the court. Second division game canceled. Sudden cardiac death, rare in sports, but now it's happening. Uh, In fact, you see this uh, chart here uh, from this video of all November 2020, January 2021, March 2021, April, April, June, June. It just goes on and on from all over the world and it's damn frightening one of these days the truth will out and then you're gonna know all right there's another article by the way from the defender um oh here you go all right let me let me just share this with you and then we'll get off this subject because what more can you say that hasn't already been said there you go 769 athletes collapsed this year. 
during competition. 769 from March 2021 to March 2022. More than. The average age of athletes who suffered cardiac arrest, 23 years old. Athletes, not obese, overweight, unhealthy people. Scary stuff, friends. All right. Why is it happening? I don't know. And I'm not afraid to say I don't know. Because apparently, I'm an intellectual. (laughs) That's our next article. People with greater intellectual humility have superior general knowledge. Again, this is from Big Think. We love the folks over there at Big Think. The link is in our show notes tonight. It is an amazing article. Smart people are not afraid to say, I don't know. In an era of social media, rolling news, there's constant pressure to be in the know, always on hand with a thought or two. Today, intellectual humility therefore feels more important than ever, having the insight and honesty to hold your hands up and say, I don't know, or that you're ignorant or inexpert about a subject. Psychologists are responding by taking an increased interest in intellectual humility, they call it, including investigating consequences for learning and thinking styles that support it. Uh, For a new paper in the Journal of Positive Psychology, a team have concluded, uh, continued this endeavor, showing, among other things, that intellectual humility correlates with superior general knowledge. You know, you're a smart guy. Logical outcome, because as the researchers write, simply put, learning requires the humility to realize that you have something to learn. If you're one of these people that, you know, I know it all, you can't teach me anything, I don't want to know anything new, whatever you're saying, you're wrong, you don't know what you're talking, you know, the world is full of these people and most of them have a stage and a microphone these days. But if you're willing to learn, that means you're willing to accept the idea that you don't know some things. Common sense, right? Consequently, smarter people are the ones who are willing to say, I don't know, but let's find out. It's a really, really cool article, and it it gets into some of the details about the research and the insights of uh, what what went on. It's from BigThink.com, and you can find the link in our show notes. That's our description down below or off to the side, wherever it may be. Depends upon what platform you happen to be watching this on. And uh, yeah, it's it's damn cool. You got to check it out from uh, BigThink.com. All right. Oh, 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 yes. Wait, coffee break time before I do this one. Mm-hmm. Ah, my other half and I are out at dinner. Uh, last night? Night before? I forget. Where were we? Nando's. Yes, we went to Nando's. Yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> have you been in one of these restaurants lately where you have to scan the damn QR code to get a menu? They just either won't give you a menu... Or they don't have them anymore. Alan Mustache, who is a, 
I don't know, some Twitter account, I guess. He posted this, and man, I'm right with you, pal. Sorry, I am not scanning a QR code for your uh, menu. I'm with the boomers on this one. Well, look, I'm an out and loud, proud boomer. I've been a proud boomer since we started this show. The old boomer and the tech and all that stuff. But this is one I'm not giving up on. I refuse to scan a damn QR code. And, you know, in addition to scanning the QR code to get your menu and put your order in online, sometimes you've got to sign in with your email. You think you're going to get my email so easy so you can send me all your bullcrap spam offers and all that crap. I'm not interested. Not interested. In fact, if you're going to make me scan a QR code at your restaurant, I'm not interested in eating at your restaurant. I will go somewhere else where I can actually look at a physical menu. You know, you're scrolling around on your handphone. You're trying to figure out what you want. Whereas you have a menu, you can stick your finger in one place where, oh, maybe I want that. Then you look around a little bit more. You find something else. Go around. You know what I'm talking about? You just There's a difference. There's a difference. A big difference. Stop with these stupid QR code menus. Aldwin Wong's joined us. Hello, Aldwin. The crazy Aldwin Wong says, prefer the menu, not the e-menu. Scanning the QR code is annoying. Annoying doesn't begin to define it. Yeah, and what if a person doesn't own a phone? There you go. Exactly, Aldwin. Thank you for that. What if you don't own a phone? I guess I'm not going to eat here then. You lose my business. In addition to that, now get this, specifically when we were at dinner at Nando's, you put in the order, they confirm the order, and then before they'll bring you your food, you have to get up, go over to the cashier, and pay first. What? What is this, McDonald's? Burger King? If I wanted that, I would have gone to McDonald's or Burger King. I'm in a sit-down... Well, okay, I know. Look, it's not Gordon Ramsay, okay? It's Nando's. But still, it's like a notch above... A notch. A little notch above fast food, okay? A little notch. It's not the kind of place I expect that... You know, I order what I want. I eat my dinner. I get up. I go to... Or I call for the bill. Or I go to the cashier and I pay my check. It's always been that way. You're going to make me get up after I've ordered with your stupid freaking QR code and then make me go pay for it before you're going to bring me up my order? And by the way, what do you waiters and waitresses do? Look, guys, I am so on your side being a waiter or a waitress. I tried doing it. Of all the whack-ass jobs I've had in my life, I was a waiter for four hours. I'm not kidding. Four hours is all I lasted. I got hired at the Deck Restaurant in West Cornwall, had my little apron, my little outfit on, and I was all set to, now this was a proper sit-down, high-class restaurant. Uh, I couldn't do it. I absolutely couldn't do it. So you guys who can and gals, you have my total respect. But honestly, what do you do? 
You sit people at the table, you say, here, scan this, and then you haul ass, and we never see you again. Oh, yeah, okay, you bring the food. And that's it. What if I got questions? Oh, no, no, no questions. Scan the QR code. Stop doing that, restaurants. It's impersonal. You're losing business. You're losing my business. You're absolutely losing my business. And I eat out a lot, a lot. Too much. Anyway, drop the QR codes. They're stupid. <sighs> All right. <laughs> I got one more, maybe two for you. Uh, we're going to wind up with some... It's, it's not good news per se, but it's cool stuff because we always love the cool stuff. This is... I, it's got to have been enhanced because it says it's from 100 years ago. So that would be... 1922. This is footage of Tibetans. The photographer I can't give credit to because it says photographer unknown. But this is footage of Tibet. Let me just play this while I chit chat. There's no real sound. Footage of Tibetans from a hundred years ago. Look at this. If you're listening to the podcast, sorry guys, it's a pure visual thing. It's old black and white footage that was taken a hundred years ago in Tibet of the people there, the native Tibetans. And it is, and they're all shy of the camera and uh, trying to smile and pose for the camera and uh, some old auntie here who uh, just can't (laughs) stop from, from laughing. But this is absolutely fascinating you've got to see this if you're listening on the podcast like i said check out the link in our show notes it's it's absolutely incredible hey there's my buddy dan bongino (laughs) yeah it's a hundred years old film from uh from tibet absolutely incredible okay and finally finally we're going to get to something i promised you last week and i honestly i forgot about it Look, I'll always be honest with you on this show. No matter what crazy stuff we get into, you'll always get the honesty from me. I forgot. Okay? I had the link in last week's show notes, so I put it in this week's show notes too. It's from Jeff Kroc, a friend of mine on Facebook who posted this. And it has to, you know, old days. Old days being like when I was a kid. Those are really old days. I did magic for a while. Uh, David Heininger, the late David Heininger, miss him badly, uh, and I did uh, did magic. We did uh, stage shows, birthday parties, all kinds of weird stuff. But I loved doing magic. I did magic from the time I was probably eight, nine years old until I was 15, 16 years old, 17. Uh, and uh, it's it's a lot of fun. But back in the day, the magic word was always what? Abracadabra. That's what magicians said. You know, they they show you the hats empty and then they wave their hand or the magic wand over it and they say abracadabra and then they pull a rabbit out of a hat or doves or whatever it might be. Well, I did not know this. Abracadabra is actually a spell. This is the wackiest, coolest thing. There's a link in my show notes to this because it's a public post. The Abracadabra spell. The spell was recorded by the Romans in the 3rd century, but it most likely originated from the Aramaic words Abhada Kadabra, 
which can be interpreted as disappear, O sickness, from this world. The Gnostics used the wording as a magic formula to combat affliction, but in later years it was used specifically to treat fevers. The spell was said to work when the person with the fever said the whole word abracadabra, then progressively left off one letter from the end of the word until no letters were left. Like, if you're looking at the screen here, you'll see they do that down below, from abracadabra all the way down to just A. Um, As it was done, the fever was supposed to reduce. For the same result, sometimes the charm was written on a piece of parchment, in the manner, you'll see an illustration in a minute, and then that parchment was hung on a cord around the feverish person's neck, and there you go. That is some sort of medallion, I guess, of, uh, of abracadabra written out, missing one letter at a time as it goes down. Looks a little New worldy order sort of thing with the triangle and the eagle on top, but there you go. Apparently, originally from the word abhada kadabra, which was Aramaic, Aramaic and uh, then that changed to Abracadabra. Poof. <laughs> How cool is that? Thank you, Jeff, for sharing that. It is, uh, it's, it's fascinating. I love this stuff. That's why we share it, because I find it, I think it's cool, and I want to share it with you. <laughs> All right. What else we got happening? Oh, we have our book. That's what we have happening. It is time to move on over to uh, The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes. Uh, before we do that, remind you, please, if you are watching us on uh, Facebook Live, please follow. And uh, we're also a, a live, uh, recorded live rebroadcast on Rumble.com and YouTube. Twitch.tv, sorry, Twitch folks, but uh, I'll be back on Twitch as soon as I can, as soon as we get our technical issues settled. But uh, Twitch is, is just not the place for me uploading recorded live streams so you know if we can get there live we'll be there live otherwise twitch you're just gonna have to just go sit in the corner for a while but we are uh, on youtube please find us over there and also on uh, on uh, rumble.com the jay sheldon show give us a like and a subscribe if you can really uh, it's free to you and it helps us out a lot and for our podcast listeners thank you so much find us in your uh, favorite podcast platform all right without further ado you know, that's one I got to find out where that came from. Without further ado, I'll have to look that up afterwards. I'll share it with you next time. <laughs> time for our book. We're doing Sherlock Holmes. Each chapter is a new adventure. And uh, we left off at a really cool spot last time. They had found a goose and a hat, and they were trying to figure out who belonged to the goose and the hat. When the uh, fellow who... Uh, the policeman who took the goose home to cook it uh, came running back into Sherlock Holmes' parlor with a blue carbuncle in his hand and uh, didn't know what it was, but was all excited about it. And Sherlock Holmes, after he looked at it, got excited himself and said, it is more than a precious stone. It is the precious stone. Not the Countess of Morcar's blue carbuncle, I ejaculated. Precisely so. I ought to know its size and shape, seeing that I've read the advertisement about it in the Times 
every day lately. It is absolutely unique, and its value can only be conjectured. But the reward offered of a thousand pounds is certainly not within a twentieth part of the market price. A thousand pounds! Great Lord of mercy! The commissionaire plumped down into a chair and stared from one of us to the other. This is the reward, and I have reason to know that there are sentimental considerations in the background, which would induce the countess to part with half her fortune if she could recover the gem. It was lost, if I remember at all right, at the Hotel Cosmopolitan, I remarked. Precisely so. On December 22nd, just five days ago, John Horner, a plumber, was accused of having abstracted it from the lady's jewel case. The evidence against him was so strong the case had been referred to the Aces. I have some account of the matter here, I believe. He rummaged amid his newspapers, glancing over the dates, until at last he smoothed one out, doubled it over, and read the following paragraph. Hotel Cosmopolitan Jewelry Robbery. John Horner, 26, plumber, was brought up upon the charge of having upon the 22nd abstracted from the jewel case of the Countess of Morcar, the valuable gem known as the Blue Carbuncle. James Ryder, the upper attendant at the hotel, gave his evidence to the effect that he'd shown Horner up to the dressing room of the Countess of Morcar upon the day of the robbery, in order that he might solder the second bar of the grate, which was loose. He had remained with Horner some little time, but finally had been called away. On returning, he found that Horner had disappeared, that the bureau had been forced open, and the small Morocco ca casket in which it was afterwards transpired, the Countess was accustomed to keep her jewel, was lying empty upon the dressing table. Ryder instantly gave the alarm, and Horner was arrested that same evening but the stone could not be found either upon his person or in his rooms. Catherine Cusack, maid to the countess, deposed to having heard Ryder's cry of dismay on discovering the robbery, and to having rushed into the room where she found matters as described by the last witness. Inspector Bradstreet, B Division, gave evidence as to the arrest of Horner, who struggled frantically and protested his innocence in the strongest of terms. Evidence of a previous conviction for robbery having been given against the prisoner, the magistrate refused to deal summarily with the offense, but referred it to the aces, assizes. Horner, who had shown signs of, in, signs of intense emotion during the proceedings, fainted away at the conclusion and was carried out of the court. Hmm. So much for the police court, said Holmes, thoughtfully, tossing aside the paper. The question for us now is to solve the sequence of events leading from a rifled jewel case at one end to the crop of a goose in Tottingham Court Road at the other. You see, Watson, our little deductions have suddenly assumed a much more important and less innocent aspect. Here is the stone. The stone came from the goose. The goose came from Mr. Henry Baker, the gentleman with the bad hat, and all the other characteristics I've bored you with. So now we must set ourselves very seriously to find this gentleman. 
and ascertaining what parties played in our little mystery. To do this, we must try the simplest means first, and these lie undoubtedly in an advertisement in all the evening papers. If this fails, I shall have to recourse to other methods. What will you say? Give me a pencil and that slip of paper. Now then, found at the corner of Good Street, a goose and a black felt hat. Mr. Henry Baker can have the same by applying at 6.30 this evening at 221B Baker Street. That is clear and concise. Very. But will he see it? Well, he's sure to keep an eye on the papers, since to a poor man the loss was a heavy one. He was clearly so scared by his mischance in breaking the window and by the approach of Peterson that he thought nothing but flight. Since he must have bitterly regretted the impulse which caused him to drop his bird, then again the introduction of his name will cause him to see it, for everyone who knows him will direct his attention to it. Here you are, Peterson. Run down to the advertising agency and have this put in the evening papers. In which, sir? Oh, in the Globe, Star, Pall Mall, St. James, Evening News, Standard, Echo, and any others that occur to you. Uh, very well, sir. And the stone? Ah, yes. I shall keep the stone, thank you. And I say, Peterson, just buy a goose on your way back and... Leave it here with me, for we must have one to give to this gentleman in place of the one which your family is now devouring. When the commissioner had gone, Holmes took up the stone, held it against the light. It's a bonny thing, he said. Just see how it glints and sparkles. Of course, it is a nucleus and focus of crime. Every good stone is. They are the devil's pet Bates. In the larger and older jewels, every facet may stand for a bloody deed. This stone is not yet twenty years old. It's found in the banks of the Amoy River in southern China, and is remarkable in having every characteristic of the carbuncle, save that it is blue in shade instead of ruby red. In spite of its youth, it already has a sinister history. There have been two murders, a vitriol throwing, a suicide, several robberies brought about for the sake of this 40-gram weight of crystallized charcoal. Who would think that so pretty a toy would be a purveyor to the gallows and the prison? I'll lock it up in my strong box now and drop a line to the Countess to say that we have it. Do you think this man Horner is innocent? Mm, I cannot tell. Uh, well, then, do you imagine that this other one, Henry Baker, had anything to do with the matter? It is, I think, much more likely that Henry Baker is an absolutely innocent man who had no idea the bird he was carrying was of considerable more value than if it were made of solid gold. That, however... I shall determine by a very simple test, if we have an answer to our advertisement. And you can do nothing till then? Nothing. 
In that case, I shall continue my professional round, but I shall come back in the evening at the hour you've mentioned, for I should like to see the solution of so tangled a business. Very glad to see you. I dine at seven. There is a woodcock, I believe, and by the way, in view of recent occurrences, perhaps I ought to ask Mrs. Hudson to examine its crop. I'd been delayed at a case, and it was a little after half-past six when I found myself at Baker Street once more. As I approached the house, I saw a tall man in a scotch bonnet with a coat which was buttoned up to his chin, waiting outside in the bright semicircle which was thrown from the fanlight. Just as I arrived, the door was opened, and we were shown up together to Holmes' room. Mr. Henry Baker, I believe, said he, rising from his armchair and greeting his visitor with the easy air of geniality which he could so readily assume. Pray, take the chair by the fire, Mr. Baker. It's a cold night, and I observe that your circulation is more adapted for summer than winter. Ah, Watson, you've come just at the right time. Is that your hat, Mr. Baker? And we'll find out the conclusion of this mystery on our next stream. The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes. How about that? All right. That's going to do it for us for tonight. Thank you so much for uh, watching in. And uh, thanks for listening, too, on our podcast. We appreciate it. We're on rumble.com. Just look for The Jay Sheldon Show or search Jay Sheldon. You'll see our logo there. And uh, also YouTube, our YouTube channel over there, and uh, twitch.tv, and, of course, podcasts on all your favorite podcast platforms, Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, Radio Public, uh, you name it, we're on all of them. I'll see you again on Wednesday night. Until then, I'm Jay Sheldon, and this... Weirdly enough, is the Jay Sheldon Show. Good night. Snort. <laughs> 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 <laughs>